the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a public policy expert who has written over 20 award-winning books and more than 100 magazine and newspaper articles. She is uh, uh, she has a master's degree uh, in public policy from the from UC Berkeley, and uh, she served as the Jacob K. Javits Fellow in the U.S. Senate. She has a new book. Um, it's it's everything you wanted to know about government. No, that's not the title. It's called um, "You Call This Democracy: What Every Teenager uh, Should Know About Our Government and How Our Government Works." Um, anyway, she uh, she is. Elizabeth Rush, she joins me by phone. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure. Um, one of the things that I have to ask this is um, what every teenager should know. Um, a book called How Our Government Really Works doesn't sound like a book that the average teenager is going to pick up off the shelf. Uh, well, um, so the book is for both young adults and adults. It's really for people of all ages. Um, but I think that young people are actually quite passionate about um, what's going on in the world. And they're going to be stuck with this mess a lot longer than us adults and have even more reasons to try to uh, to fix our democracy. I also think that young people are more open to embracing new approaches and um, are a bit bolder in demanding change. And so I think that by lighting a fire under um, teenagers and young adults, um, we can really start to identify and fix flaws in our elections so that we can finally make progress on the issues that we all care about. Are younger people becoming more interested in government slash politics? Well, I think that there's a growing awareness and a growing engagement. Some of that um, comes from the Internet um, and how uh, you know, tied in young people are to what's going on 
you know, not only in their schools and their community, um, but in the country and in the world. And I think that there is also a growing awareness that we're not going to be able to really fix the issues that we face in this country until we have a democracy that works. There's some interesting polling information, um, and this isn't necessarily just young adults, but, um, uh, you know, about 15% of people in this country think that our democracy is the best in the world, and there's actually a huge growing awareness and desire to fix the structure of our democracy. And I think a lot of that's being driven by young people, young people who are hitting the streets over climate change, over Black Lives Matter, and over, you know, lots of other issues. Most most people think of the U.S. as uh, as a democracy. And again, I want to say the name of the book is You Call This Democracy? How to Fix Our Government and Deliver Power to the People. Most people think this is a democracy and, and that it is... Um, one person, one vote. But there are many who argue that it's, in fact, not a democracy, but a, a, a republic. Well, um, you know, you can have a republic that is also a, a democracy. So what our government really is, is a representative democracy. So rather than, you know, every citizen voting on every issue that comes up, we elect representatives to um, to advocate for us in the government. And what we need to do with our democracy is make sure that our votes are being counted properly so that we are electing the people who actually, um, you know, represent what we want. So, for instance, there's, you know, a surprising amount of agreement um, on a number of issues that we face in our country. So take, for instance, the health care crisis. More than 69% of Americans support a government health plan sim similar to Medicare that would cover everyone. But that's something that we are not able, we haven't been able to pass. On the climate crisis, more than 60% of Americans support raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations that burn fossil fuels to combat climate change. Take police brutality, which is, you know, high in the news today. Nine in ten Americans support outfitting all police officers with body cameras. Eight in ten want early warning systems that identify problematic officers. And two-thirds think that neck restraints like the one used to kill George Floyd should be banned. So the problem is there is surprising agreement on issues and what we should do about it, but our government doesn't currently reflect that will, the will of the people, to make those things happen. And so what I did with my book is really look at, you know, what are the flaws? What are the things that are standing in the way of the will of the people being translated into representatives who reflect the will of the people, which would be translated into policies that we actually want? Yeah, how, how is it that, that these, uh, these elected representatives aren't looking at polling information and doing what they were sent there to do? Well, there are actually some, some structural things that are kind of distorting um, that, that connection between the people and the representatives and policy. So, for instance, let's just look at the presidency. You know, we have an electoral college where, you know, we, we elect the president through an electoral college rather than just adding up all of the votes in the United States to elect our president. So this has led to five times in our history 
um, uh, the the president who won the popular vote not taking office. And um, it's also really distorted how our elections are run. So currently in the 2020 election, we have all the candidates kind of focused on six states. So if you live in a state like Oregon, where I live, which tends to um, you know, put all their electors towards a Democrat, the, the huge numbers of people in Oregon who are Republican, their votes basically don't matter at all. So what I would like to see is moving past the Electoral College so that every citizen's vote in every state counts equally toward the election of our president. Um, you all in uh, Michigan know very well <laughs> about the issue of, of gerrymandering, where politicians, political parties, and state legislatures draw voting district maps to, um, to basically keep their party and themselves and their buddies in power. So I would also like to see what happened in Michigan um, with the ending of gerrymandering and creating a citizens commission to drive the voting to draw voting district maps to happen all across the country. I think we also need to ramp up voter turnout so that our democracy really reflects all voices. Turnout in this country is abysmal and there are actually some very specific policies that we can point to to fix it. So there is already a federal law that requires automatic voter registration. It's only implemented in, you know, just over a dozen states. So there should be widespread automatic voter registration. Um, I'm really encouraged to see the increase in vote by mail because that's something that has been proven to increase voter turnout uh, while also, um, you know, uh, offering safe and secure elections. And then I think the other thing we need to do is really move political power from the wealthy and corporations to ordinary citizens. So that means putting limits on contributions to campaigns, making sure there's disclosure of contributions, and then also um, kind of increasing the public funding of elections. And I think that all those things together, plus some other issues that I talk about in my book, will allow us to really have our votes matter and our elections represent the will of the people. There are so many people who don't vote that I wonder sometimes if, if everyone voted if that wouldn't overtake the moneyed interests that we see in our elections. I absolutely agree with you. So there are 50 million Americans who are not registered to vote, 50 million. <laughs> and about 40% of Americans have never voted in an election. So that's a huge number of people. And if we just had those voices... I think you're right that it would overtake the power of party politics and the power of money if if those people just went to the polls. Now, you mentioned the, the Voters Not Politicians group that started as kind of a grassroots project here in Michigan and got a ballot initiative to set up a citizens commission to do the drawing of districts. And, you know, when we say gerrymandering, I don't know if everybody knows that that's a, a, a term uh, given to the process where every 10 years after the census is taken, congressional districts and other political uh, distinctions or elected uh, representative uh, districts are uh, redrawn based on the population and where it is. Um, 
and and the idea was that this has always been a very political process, and whoever was the majority party in a state was going to determine that that map in the best way for their party. Um, and what I was going to say is, and, and you spoke very kindly of, of their efforts and, and hoping that it would pick up around the, the country to uh, do something um, a little less partisan. Um, some of my uh, libertarian and uh, Green Party friends are troubled by the final uh, makeup of that commission being four Republicans, four Democrats, and five who don't party affiliate. Um, in, what is their concern? What is their concern with that makeup? That it gives a majority to people who favor the two-party system. Mm, mm-hmm. But there are still the unaffiliated people in that. But they uh, don't. But they don't make up a majority. You've got eight people who favor the, that, at least that's the argument. You've got eight people that favor the two-party system. I don't know what the answer is in the numbers because it would be so cumbersome to have, you know, which parties qualify, you know, to have members just, just as we do with the ballot. Um, you know, it would be a very complicated thing. And and I'm uh, Katie Fahey, who was the founder of that, that initiative has been on the show many times and she's she's tremendous and i think she's done an incredible thing in in uh, at least getting some people to consider it differently than than having it handled by the legislature yeah and i think that you know simply taking it out of the hands of the state legislature and putting it into citizens hands you know, opens it up for, you know, maybe the smaller parties and the third parties to have a chance. So maybe not so much in the composition of the commission right now, but if the voting districts are drawn in a way that they're, you know, compact, where, uh, you know, parties of interest are kind of clumped together and can vote together, I think that those, those other parties will be able to thrive because the system isn't, you know, as rigged actually towards party politics if it's citizens drawing the voting district maps. Um, boy, there are so many things to talk about, and we've been kind of hooked on uh, gerrymandering here for a minute. And, Elizabeth, I have to go to break here in, in about a minute. Can you stick around and we'll talk some more on the other side? I want to talk about covid and uh voting by mail and uh, there's just a number of things that we can get into and talk about can you stick around for a while you bet i could talk about this all day (laughs) (laughs) i i have a feeling that's true um and and i can as well so we should have a good time when we return if you're listening to us on wfov 92.1 fm our voices radio in flint they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But we'll be back in uh, in just a couple minutes to talk some more with uh, um, policy expert uh, Elizabeth Rush the author of You Call This Democracy, How to Fix Our Government and Deliver Power to the People. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner 
this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with public policy expert Elizabeth Rush. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. My pleasure. Um, Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about how uh, infrequent but occasionally a president can take office without winning the popular vote because of the Electoral College. There are a lot of people advocating for its abolition um, and and go to a... uh, one-person, one-vote system exclusively. And um, and I've even seen some people um, predicting that if, uh, if the president were to win, win re-election, um, that he would be doing so again without the majority of the popular vote, that it would be an electoral college win, and he would be the first president ever to win twice without winning the popular vote. Yeah, well, I I saw a study uh, by NPR that I found a bit horrifying, actually. It said it's possible for someone to win the Electoral College with just a quarter of the popular vote. So we've actually created this system where the only office that we don't elect directly is the president (laughs) and vice president, you know, the most powerful office in, in the country. Um, and it's really just distorted our elections in a way that's really troubling. Would um, it work better if if we didn't have states that were winner-take-all? You know, I think that is one um, solution, but there's a, another solution that's actually kind of um, makes a lot of sense and is actually spreading um, quite rapidly. It's called the um, National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, so basically, um, you know, the Constitution, while it creates electoral college, also creates a way out. So in the Constitution, it gives states control over how to um, decide who gets the electors. So it's possible for states to agree um, to give all of their electors to the winner of the national popular vote. So there is already um, a national popular vote interstate compact. Um, it's already passed in 15 states and the District of Columbia. And it doesn't uh, go into effect until there are enough states representing the 270 electoral votes needed to win the election. But these 15 states already represent 196 of the 270 electoral votes. So we need just 70 more electoral votes to, for, these, for this interstate national compact to go into effect. Um, I think Michigan has not, let me see, check my notes. Michigan has not yet passed it. Um, there was a bill in the Senate sponsored by a bipartisan group of 25 of the 38 Michigan senators, both, so 15 Republicans and 10 Democrats, who supported uh, signing on to the National Popular Vote Compact. So, you know, I feel like we actually are on the verge of being able to fix this problem. Um, If we can get more attention paid at the state level to making this change, we have a means to do it, and there's already bipartisan support for it. Um, there's also 70% of Americans favor switching to a na- nationwide popular vote. So this is something that I think we could do, and we're not far away from doing, and would really change things. 
During the last segment, we also talked a little bit about voting districts and uh, gerrymandering and how districts are drawn and, and how it's um, historically it's been done by politicians for their own benefit. Um, but one of the things that comes up with regard to voting is there are some people who are saying that lots of people are being blocked from voting and some people that are saying that people aren't being blocked from voting. Um, are people being blocked from voting, and how does that happen? Yeah, well, so one of the things that I learned from writing this book is that every state handles their elections differently. And so it's really difficult to you know, say something about what's happening, you know, nationally across the country because it really varies by state. So there are states um, that do less voter suppression and there are states that do more voter suppression. So um, some of the things that can really suppress the vote are um, states that purge their voter rolls um, and do it in a way that really sweep up people who are you know legal eligible registered voters and they just automate they just in the purge like you know cancel their voter registration so these people show up <laughs> to vote on election day and they're not registered and so they've lost their vote um, the other thing that that states can do to either make voting work better or make it work worse is um, early voting so right now in this country we have election day which is a Tuesday, it's not a national holiday. And in order to vote, there are a lot of people who have to find, you know, child care or elder care. They may have, they may be immobile or sick themselves, especially during COVID. Um, and uh, they don't have time to, you know, wait online to vote. And so some states will offer early voting so that people can vote when it's convenient for them, and some states will not. So you have to vote on Election Day, no matter what's going on in your life. Um, another thing that um, states can use to suppress the vote is um, requiring really strict ID. So there are some states that say you have to have a state-issued photo ID, which might not seem like a big deal, except if you, let's say, you are no longer driving and you have an expired driver's license. Let's say that you can't afford to drive and you, so you don't have a driver's license. Um, let's say that you're a student and um, you don't have a driver's license. Um, and some states will allow your college ID to work and some states will not let your college ID work. Um, so there are lots of things. Um, the other thing that, that can be done to suppress the vote is actually closing polling places. So one of the real barriers to voting can be if you either don't know where your polling place is or you had a plan to vote because you thought this polling place in your neighborhood was open and it turns out they closed that one and you have to drive across town. Maybe you don't have a car. Maybe you don't know the bus lines there. And so all of those things are really artificial obstacles to voting that can affect everyone but also tend to really affect the young, the old, people of color, um, and, um, you know, really suppress the vote uh, for populations whose voices we really need to hear.
You mentioned COVID uh, sort of in passing, and COVID is having a tremendous impact on early voting and uh, absentee voting, mail-in voting, if you will. Uh, and there's been a lot of uh, discussion about it, some controversy with the president uh, slamming it, other people uh, singing its praises. I know in our uh, here in Michigan, the uh, primary uh, election voter turnout because of mail-in voting had skyrocketed. And uh, they're anticipating that for November as well, that, that we'll have a much higher turnout than we typically do, even in a presidential election. Um, is um, mail-in voting is, is something that, that is safe and secure, but what are some of the traps yeah. Well, so mail-in voting is one of the things that I actually think could solve a lot of the problems that we face. Um, so I live in Oregon, and we've had vote-by-mail since 2000, and universal vote-by-mail. So um, a, a ballot shows up in your mailbox <laughs> um, if you're a registered voter. That happens, you're automatically registered in Oregon as well. So if you're a registered voter, a, a ballot shows up, you also get... Um, uh, kind of an election pamphlet that has all the information about the candidates. And at your, at your own time, at your own speed, using, using whatever resources you want, you can take the time and go through the ballot and do the research and make your, um, make your selections. Um, you know, stick it in an envelope. In Oregon, you don't even need a stamp. You can just, you know, stick it in the mail or you can drop it off in a ballot box. Um, and what's amazing is that when they implemented vote by mail in Oregon, um, we our voter turnout skyrocketed. So compared with about half nationally, we tend to have about 80% turnout in presidential elections. And I know that the president is talking a lot about vote by mail being unsafe and um, subject to fraud, and that is just it's just not true. I mean, I've looked at the research on vote by mail. First of all, vote by mail is something that we've been doing in a number of states for a long time. So it's not this brand new idea. It's actually been quite heavily tested and quite heavily researched. The research shows that fraud in vote by mail is basically infinitesimal. I mean, it's just teeny tiny amounts of, of fraud and usually accidental. And I'm going to just give you a couple examples of things that actually happened here in Oregon to show you how this works. So. My husband um, fell backwards out of a truck um, one year and broke both of his wrists. And that happened to happen during an election. And his ballot, because you have to sign the back of the ballot, the election department flagged his ballot as his signature not matching and you know, contacted him, <laughs> contacted him, and said, you know, did you mail this ballot? Your signature doesn't match. You know, what's your explanation? Of course, he could just write back and say, well, I broke both my wrists. <laughs> That's why my yeah. signature looks bad. <laughs> Another, a, a friend of mine. The X didn't uh, work. <laughs> yeah. The, and another a friend of mine, um, the husband and wife you know, has sat down to vote together, and they swapped their ballots. So they put, the husband put their, his ballot in the wife's envelope and vice versa. They also were flagged as, you know, the incorrect ballot is in here, doesn't match the signature, you know, and, and an explanation. So there are processes set up for 
um, when there are irregularities in the vote-by-mail system. So, you know, I I am a just a huge proponent of vote-by-mail. One of the, I think, silver linings of COVID is that so many states are allowing vote-by-mail. Um, I read uh, recently that 83% of Americans now have access to vote-by-mail. They may have to apply for it and sign up for a ballot, but it is a very powerful way to increase voter turnout, to be more respectful of voters, to let them vote in the time and place that works best for them, and also you know, creates at this time an opportunity where they can vote without having to choose between their health and their voice. Yeah, it's it's uh, been kind of interesting because states that typically did not support uh, uh, vote by mail or, more importantly, that had kind of strict absentee ballot guidelines. Michigan was one of those states. Um, and it, uh, it, it has changed, and it has changed because of COVID, but there are concerns, and, and I have to admit that it's that some of the talk has made me a little nervous with regard to um, whether or not the uh, post office can get the ballots delivered in time, and, yeah. and what it and what happens to the timeline of campaigns, um, it, it, things have changed dramatically. In fact, uh, the presidential campaign, I think, was uh, one of them was was wanting to call for an earlier debate because there was a concern that a lot of people would have voted already by time the debates start. Um, is is that a concern for you? And I, I've decided how I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to use yeah. the mail-in ballot and and a ballot box like like you mentioned. But yeah. um, well, I you know I I I think that that is a legitimate concern. And when I think about the 2020 election, that's something that I think about as well. I mean, I think in, I, in an ideal world, we would have moved to vote by mail. You know, over. A period of time and the systems would be set and the post office would be settled and funded and you know and that would be in an ideal world i think that it's i think that we need to be prepared not to know who won the election on november 3rd you know that night or the next night or that week i think that is just the reality of yeah, michigan's um, secretary you know, of state um said in a recent free press uh, interview that people should be preparing for election week exactly and <laughs> you know I, I you know and that that may sound frightening because it's a change but what do we care about more do we care that we know on a certain day who our president is or do we care more that everyone's vote gets counted and I for one want everyone's vote counted, whether they agree with me or not. And so I think taking the time to count the ballots um, is something that we can do. It's, um, you know, the, the states don't have to turn in their kind of electoral vote counts for, for quite some time after the election. There is time built into the timeline for this all to work. I do think that there needs to be a, a, an awareness and an acceptance that in these unprecedented times, we may need more time to figure out who who won the election on November 3rd. Um, but I don't necessarily, I don't blame that on vote by mail. But, you know, I think it's just states have done, um, in my opinion, 
you know, an incredible job of most states, not all states, <laughs> have done an incredible job of shifting voting, allowing vote by mail, allowing some early voting. Um, as you said, in Michigan, you know, instead of having to provide an ID at the polls, you can sign your ballot, which opens up access to more Michigan voters. So I think there are, there are a lot of things that are actually enfranchising our citizens. And if the price that we have to pay is that we need to wait a little bit to have those ballots counted, I'm okay with that. One of the... Um you had sent me over uh, a, a couple of talking points, and, and one that caught my eye that I want to explore a little bit with you is, uh, especially in these very uh, contentious uh, political uh, campaigns and, and uh, this political environment that we find ourselves in, was important election topics that people can discuss with family, friends, and colleagues without starting a partisan brawl. <laughs> <laughs> that, that fascinates well, so, you me. Know, I Katie, spend... Fahey, Katie Fahey, you know, the, the gerrymandering queen in Michigan, it was a bit of an inspiration for this. You know, her, her story, as I understand it, is that after the 2016 election, you know, her family was very divided about who... Could, who was who, who should have won, and she was terrified um, for Thanksgiving dinner when people were going to be fighting about it. And so <laughs> she brought up <laughs> this idea of, do you think politicians should be drawing voting district maps, or do you think citizens should? And that was something that whether you were Republican, Democrat, or Independent, you could discuss without you know necessarily devolving into a partisan brawl. And so, you know, as I was writing this book, um, you know, I was thinking a lot about, um, about issues that we can discuss. We can, we can even have differing opinions over them, but they're not partisan. They're not about Republican or Democrat. So, you know, one of them obviously is gerrymandering. Um, you know, it, it seems like that's pretty much resolved in Michigan, but there are lots of states in the country, such as Oregon, um, and also where a lot of my family members live. My parents live in Maryland, which is a, you know, a horribly um, gerrymandered state. They live in a district that, it's a tiny state, but this district goes like 235 miles across Is that the state where the first gerrymander occurred? Uh, the first gerrymander occurred in Massachusetts. Okay, all right. Yeah. I, I was um, trying to think. Yeah, so, you know, I think talking about, you know, if, if you um, live in a state that's gerrymandered um, or not, I mean, just discussing who should be voting, uh, who should be drawing voting district maps, I think discussing, you know, should we be allowed to vote for president directly is something that we can talk about. Um, I think that we can talk about uh about voter registration. So one of the things I learned in, in writing uh, You Call This Democracy is that there's no other democracy in the world, developed democracy in the world, that requires citizens to register to vote um, and, and requires this sort of hoop to jump through. So, you know, we could discuss, you know, what about having our government actually work for us and register us um, to vote? You know, Michigan um, has done that for years um, when people go to have uh, license plates uh, renewed or get their driver's license renewed, they're given an opportunity to register to vote. And, and I think for that reason, a lot more Michiganders are registered to vote than 
in some other states. Yeah, well, I have two thoughts about that. One is that, you know, rather than giving them an opportunity to register, they should be automatically registered. And my second issue with that is why do you have to be a driver to be a voter? Like, there are people who don't yeah, drive. You know, so, so um, you know, having it be the government's responsibility to register citizens is just something that people can talk about without, you know, breaking into a partisan brawl, as I said uh, before. You know, I also cover issues, and you call this democracy, like um, lowering the voting age to age 16. You know, that's something that, that you could talk about, um, especially if you're a family with young people and get their ideas. Um, another interesting issue that you could discuss is currently, again, we're one of the only democracies in the world who does this. We link our criminal justice system to our elections. So there are a lot of states where um, people who either are in prison or are out of prison and have served their sentences and they have lost their, their right to vote. And this just doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Um, there's a lot of attention being paid to um, some problems that our criminal justice system is, you know, overcrowded and and um, and problematic. And so, you know, just asking, like, should our criminal justice system be linked to elections is another issue that we can talk about. Um, I think there's something that really, <laughs> really bothers me, and that's how much candidates lie in elections. And I would, you know, one thing I like to talk about is, like, does our Constitution actually give candidates the right to lie? Like, why is that okay? So you can't lie in court. You can't lie in ads, you know, and, like, your business can't lie in ads. And yet we allow candidates to lie left and right in their campaigns. And, and in my mind, that really undermines democracy because how can we make good choices in our democracy, if if candidates are allowed to lie and we don't have the information that we need to make decisions, so there are actually a lot of topics other than who you're going to vote for for president <laughs> that that you can talk about and that I think really matter, and that um, and that if we pay more attention to some of these issues, that we could reap benefits in the long term of actually improving our democracy so that it reflects the will of the people. What would you think about having uh, candidates have to be uh, hooked up to a lie detector during debates? <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs> you know, I've also thought about. So I've thought, I've also thought about. You know how, like in football games or or whatever sporting things, you know, they're always it's like some something happens in a in a game, and the commentators know immediately, like how many. So I'm not a sports person, so I'm going to completely bungle this, but. <laughs> But, like, you know, how many passes have been uh, completed? How, how many passes this quarterback has completed? Or, you know, how many yards this person has run or something right. like that? Because so they collect the information ahead of time, knowing that these issues are going to come up in the game. So how about the media doing that? We know in the debate they're going to be talking about health care. They're going to be talking about climate change. They're going to be talking about... Um, police brutality and public safety and, you know, what if the media prepared, you know, facts and clips? And so, well, that's you know, a whole, whether it's like a little ticker tape on the bottom, that's, <laughs> you know, that's as a whole the other, talking that's, what they actually have said and done, you know, runs along the bottom. That's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. And I have to take another break. Can you stick around and we'll talk a little bit you more? Bet. All you right. Bet. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. 
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is a public policy expert who has just written a new book called uh, You Call This Democracy? How to Fix Our Government and Deliver Power to the People. She is uh, on the line from Portland, Elizabeth Rush. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, thank you. Just before the break, you had brought up the media, and I'm having a tough time in this era of, of so-called fake news. Um, determining what media is reliable to fact-check uh, the claims of various politicians and, and to um, disseminate reliable information. So much of, our, of what we get in the way of news comes from television, which I fear is much more form than substance. And, um, and, and it, it, it makes it a problem. They're really... Newspapers of record are becoming fewer and fewer. Yeah, I think that's a real tragedy, too. The other thing that's happening is that I I think that uh, Americans used to watch and trust the same shows, and so there was sort of an you know an understanding of you know this is this is truth and this is reality, and now there are you know shows and newspapers that seem to be news that really are you know spin or um, you know just full of outright lies, and I think it is really difficult for Americans to weed through that and figure out what is true and what is, you know, false. I think there's not news and fake news. I think there's truth and falsehood. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have the, the, um, the answer to this. I mean, I think I was getting to something earlier talking about, you know, having candidates having the right to lie um you know i think if there were you know stronger checks in the moment like you suggested like during the debate um oh, you know, yeah my my hook them up to a lie detector uh, <laughs> fantasy <laughs> yeah or or like the ticker tape of the truth that runs below them as they're speaking you know that would be really powerful i mean there are some resources you know i there are a couple of organizations that do fact checking um, if you just Google, you know, fact checker, um, you can find those organizations that will, what I like about them is you don't have to just believe what they say <laughs> about the fact that they're checking. They usually have links so that you can actually say, say a politician says something and they say it's, you know, for Pinocchio's like a total lie. You can like click to what their source was when they're saying it's a lie. So you can decide for yourself. You can look at the clip or look at the actual document um, and decide for yourself. So, you know, I do encourage, um, you know, citizens to take the time and try to figure out 
you know, what is true and what is not. But again, I think that there's also some underlying problems with our democracy that are making this more difficult than it has to be. I think if we, if our actual democracy required candidates to tell the truth, you know, it's just better for everybody. How, how would we, how would we do that? Because, you know, President Trump is, is someone who is, very prone to say whatever just sounds good to him at the moment uh, without any concern about accuracy or um, whether or not it can be verified and yet there are people who just don't care that the information isn't isn't true they don't trust the government they don't trust the media and here's a guy who seems to want to stir things up so they don't hold him to to a standard that we might have 30 or 50 years ago yeah i mean i think it is challenging but you know we do have uh you know say laws in our court system that say you know when you're on the stand you can't lie it's against the law you'll be thrown in jail we have laws that say you can't lie in an ad if you lie in an ad, you could be fined. Um, and I think, it's, I, th- I think it's difficult because I think that would be a lot harder to do where there's a candidate just making a speech, right, and there's, there's free speech. But I think when there is, say, but if they know, put an it, ad if put, they put, put together. It, yeah, exactly. They have an ad put together with a falsehood in the ad. You know, I would say we should just apply the same standard that we, we have for other ads, that it has to be accurate. You know, it's, it's a bit bizarre because, um, you know, stations, I think, you probably would know this better than I do, stations by law have to run an ad even if they know it's, it's not a, a political ad, even if they know it's not accurate. And so the public thinks, oh, if it's on TV or it's on the radio, it must be accurate because they wouldn't let something not accurate be on the TV. So it's actually quite misleading to the audience who doesn't know how things work when there are ads that are inaccurate. And I think even just applying the standard we have for other ads to political ads would at least be a step in the right direction. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm having so much fun with this conversation. We've got about four minutes left, and I want to make sure and give you an opportunity to do a couple of things. One is talk about uh, maybe maybe two or three things that you hope people will get out of this book. You call this democracy, how to fix our government and deliver power to the people, but also to let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about in the book and so on. So if you have a website or um, some other resources that you might want to direct people to. Yeah, well, thank you for that opportunity. So, you know, I do hope that that citizens will kind of brush up on some of the issues that I write about in my book. So You Call This Democracy covers how our elections really work and how to improve them. It includes um, inspiring stories of citizens who are making change and really specific um, suggestions and solutions that we can implement right now. Um, I've also created a, um, a series of YouTube videos called Flash Course on Democracy, which are these short five-minute kind of fun videos on the Electoral College and gerrymandering and voter turnout and vote by mail. You know, I hope that uh, both adults and teens enjoy, you know, learning a little bit more about those issues through the videos. I've also created um, the 50-state democracy report card. So when I was writing the book, I was looking at these issues, and I kept thinking, well, how does Oregon stand up? How does 
you know, some of the places I've lived, like South Carolina and North Carolina, where my parents live in Maryland, where I have a brother in Illinois, like, what are, what's happening there? So I actually collected all the data together into a 50-state democracy report card um, that you can type in your state and find out how they do on these issues. Um, so to get, um, you know, information about the book, about the flash course, and about my work, um, I would encourage you to go to the special website that I've created for the book. It's called youcallthis.com, and it has information about the book, information about the 50-state democracy report card, information about the um, flash course on democracy, which is also on YouTube. It has discussion questions, debate questions, things that could be used as essay questions um, for uh, homeschooling home and online schooling, um, and also information about how to get involved, what organizations are working on these issues, and what citizens can do right now to improve elections in their state. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It's been a delight talking with you. Best of luck with the book and all of your work. Thank you, and thank you for your good work as well, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was um, Elizabeth Rush. She um, has a master's degree uh, in public policy from, uh, let's see, where, where did that come from? Oh, I know. I'm on the wrong. I'm on the wrong page, people. I'll I'll get this together. Um, anyway, Elizabeth has uh, a uh, master's degree from the um, oh UC Berkeley. I knew that. And um, the book is called uh, "You Call This Democracy," and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Well, we'll wrap up the show in just a moment. <music> Well, we've got just a few seconds left to wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And um, I want to say thanks to all of my guests, Elizabeth Rush, the uh, public policy expert that we spent the last hour with. Before that, we got a chance to talk with uh, author and retired orthopedic surgeon John Bishop about his uh, Doc Brady medical thriller series and his new book, Act of Revenge. And, of course, we started out today's three-hour tour with, um, oh, um, Let's see, how do, how do we describe her? Um, Master hypnotherapist Kimberly Friedmutter. And talking about her book, Subconscious Power. Anyway, uh, that wraps it up. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, uh, good night, everybody. show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.